thank you for this opportunity to come to your from the anticipation that you will use here. Uh, change us and show us what we need to learn. Uh, show us ourselves, show us yourself, Lord, today we pray in Jesus' name as we uh, study your word, as we worship, and we anticipate what you're going to do. Thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I thought we'd start off with Psalm 115 this morning. Psalm 115. And the reason I um, am picking specific psalms related to where we're at in John is that they actually would, as part of the water ceremony that we're reading about in John chapter 7, this is one of the psalms that they would sing if they were coming up the hill with the water. So whoever gets to Psalm 115 first, go ahead and read out. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory, because of your mercy and because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, Where now is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Amen. So, who remembers where we were in John? Pardon? Pardon? We did read it. <laughs> I think we read all the way through it. Pardon? Yep, we're John chapter 7. That's him for the two questions. It's, uh, it's structured around specific questions. So what, what on the whole is John about? If, it's, if somebody walked up to you on the street and that was a cash cab and they said, what is John about? What would you answer? Jesus is the Christ. Pardon? Jesus is the Christ. And? That's right. Yes. 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 Two hundred dollars. Um, so we have the the actual. John does this when uh, uh, Pastor Bob went through First John last week. 
he took you to the thesis statement of John, which is at the end. So it's kind of a stylistic thing that John does. He puts um, the purpose of his writing, his theme, uh, typically at the end. And a lot of times he uses kind of circular logic uh, in order to develop that thesis. Although what we see here is that John is thematically organized, so it's not necessarily chronological, although it does follow a chronology. It's more organized around specific um, elements that develop the thesis. And the, the, the thesis of uh, John is in uh, chapter 20, verse 31, but I'm going to read verse 30 and 31. It says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of, his, of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So there's a threefold focus that uh, John wants us to understand. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that that specifically um, has a, a specific meaning. You know, he's, he's focusing on the divine attributes of Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And you'll see a, a, a strong emphasis in John in developing um, that aspect of Messiah. He also fully tells that story through the human aspect of Messiah. So John is really good theology for beginners in, in the Christian faith because he develops some of the foundational truths that we hold that make us distinct, which is that uh, Jesus is the Son of God fully human, fully divine. So he wants us to know um, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we may have life in his name. And so he wants us to know, to believe, and then as a result of that, we remain in him. We actually are in Christ, and that we uh, abide in him. And, that, and he'll use these very words throughout, throughout John repeatedly. So we know that this is uh, what he's driving at. So, I mentioned how John is organized, and I know I go through this every week, but sometimes people drop in and out, so we'll go through it again. Uh, John, on the whole, is organized into five parts. We had the prologue, which was probably written last, even though you would think, well, if it was a chronology, John would have written it first, but he actually wrote that last. The, the main body is what we would see here as uh, 2, 3, and 4, and that that is both a public ministry of Jesus as he reveals who he is to the world, and a private ministry as he reveals himself to those that believe in him and trust in him. Um, and then there's the, the passion story of what he's done, what he's come for to do. And then finally there's an epilogue which uh, is very interesting because it has to do with the history of the church. And we'll get there someday, trust me. Um, and so we've been looking at the, the public ministry of Christ and uh, that the revelation of Jesus as Messiah, the Son of God to the world. And we understand that that's broken up through a series of challenges. Um, that Jesus is presenting himself as both the replacement and fulfillment of certain aspects of religious practice. And he challenges institutions in, in Judaism, at least that's the way John presents it. 
Um, and we've gone through that, the, the concept of purification and joy and wedding, the temple concept where uh, Jesus um, is the replacement for the temple. So what's the, what's the temple about? Because this is important because Jesus is in the temple in chapter 7. What's, or he's at the temple. What, uh, what's the temple about? That's right. It's where the people come to be in the presence of God. Right? Um, what's the rabbinical teaching about? So we understand that if you look at the, the fundamental practice of the Jewish people, um, one of their great scriptures is what they call the, the Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel. Uh, does anybody know where I'm going? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. So they're making a declaration about um, who God is and uh, their relationship to him. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Um, so we understand that that was fundamental to uh, the rabbinical uh, teaching and priesthood is fundamental to the Jewish practice of religion. But what was that about that I just read? It was all about the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And so understanding the word Lord there, in fact, they wouldn't even write it out. The name of God was so sacred that they wouldn't actually write it. Um, so they would, uh, we understand that we have a, a name that's made up of um, consonants, and then they added, we added vowel points so that we could actually pronounce it. But they would not say the name of God. And if you go and look at Jewish literature today, where the, the Lord would appear is blanked out, typically. Or if you see it in English, or you'd see the word God, they'll put a G and then it'll be blanked out. Because it's so sacred, you don't say the name of God. But at the same time, they kind of lost their focus. It's like, what is, what is this about? How do you, what is this about that, um, that the name of God is so sacred, right? They kind of lost their focus in that. So we understand that that rabbinical teaching is all about um, pointing people to God, but they've kind of lost their way. And Jesus is there to point them to God. He is the teacher, right? You hear him called the teacher. Um, we also found out that Jesus challenged the, um, the institution of, um, I'm trying to think of the right word here, um, it has to do with uh, not the word, but uh, tradition. So the, the whole concept of tradition and the, the role that tradition plays in religious practice. And we saw that, that he uh, challenged tradition with the woman at the well. Then we see a kind of a shift, rather than focusing on kind of the fundamental elements of the religion, he specifically takes on uh, specific practices in the religion around festivals. And we first see that he took on the whole concept of what Sabbath is about. 
and, and we saw that there was a healing on the Sabbath. And that's actually going to come up in chapter 7 of John as well. We saw that in chapter 5. There was a primary focus on that. But this is a recurring theme. In fact, it was the very theme that caused the Jews, it was so sacred to them, the preservation of the festival of the Sabbath, that they used that as grounds to crucify Jesus. That's how important that was. Um, we also saw in chapter 6 how he helped reframe the whole festival or feast of Passover. And that the Passover is about what? It's about deliverance from bondage. A people that were um, off course had actually um, ended up where they were not supposed to end up because God made a promise to his people. And that promise was expect, expressed through the patriarchs, through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. And Jacob ended up in Egypt. Now, we understand that God did that to preserve his people. We find that out in Genesis at the end. But at the same time, they weren't supposed to be in Egypt. right? The reason they ended up there was because of the sin of the brothers. And Joseph ended up there against his will. But God intended that for the good of the people. And so 430 years passed and God led them out of captivity. So you see this whole of the Passover um, that it wasn't just about being released from bondage, but it was about being released from the greatest bondage. The greatest bondage that we face is death. And that we understand that the, the Passover angel passed over because of the blood sacrifice of the lamb. And that those people were delivered through the sacrifice of another. And that that's what that Passover was about. And Jesus helped reframe that. And he reframed that in uh, a way of understanding the basic essentials of life. Understanding what nourishes us and what provides for us from God. He said, I am the bread of life. In fact, you need to actually eat this bread. You need to eat me. And that's, that, that totally freaked him out. It's like, well, what are you talking about? And he was talking about a spiritual concept. And so this is what we understand is that he's using things that occurred in their life and in their religious practice to help bring them to God, to help point them to what this is all about. In this chapter, we're looking at um, as uh, Jesus challenges the whole of the concept of uh, festival of, of booths. Yes? Right, so sorry to interrupt. No, that's okay. <laughs> so in, in chapter 6 he does talk about uh, my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink yep. and I must have missed the time that you talked about that or whatever but I mean what having studied John what would you say is the reason that he used this that he knew would be offensive is he trying to weed out the chaff or something I, I don't um, I think that the state of our lostness is so great that we just don't get it. So we know that Adam and Eve, with, with full knowledge, um, believed a lie. Right? Now, it may have been naivety, it may not have been particular malice in Eve's heart, as opposed to it was malice in Satan's heart, that he wanted to be God. But Eve was tempted with the same, and she with full knowledge of the commandment of God and full revelation of God chose to sin, and Adam did too. That's different in a way for us. I mean, we also are, are the law is made known to us in our heart, but we continue to sin and we're, we're 
in a sense, children of the lie. And that we believe the lie very readily. And it's very difficult for us to believe the truth. So in many ways, God puts his truth in very stark language. It's shocking to us. Because if you look at the language of the world, that's not the way of the world. Right? A blood sacrifice for our sin, blood for blood, is even though that's the way that reality actually works, and what God had to do in order to actually redeem us, he had to have one like us, fully human, die in our place. And that through his death, he could actually conquer death. And, well, I, I and understand that. Right, but that's what that's about. But, I mean, to say my blood is true drink, I mean... Right. So, so what is so what is food and drink? Of, most of these Jews are, I think, trying to trying to understand, trying to they want to believe. Well, but when you say this stuff, they have to fall away because they know that that would be anti. That would be cannibalism, which would be yeah. Well, okay. So here they were. This the story is told for us in chapter six that Jesus did this incredible miracle, right? He multiplied the bread and the meat that was there to distribute among the people. And the people needed sustenance, right? So he starts out that whole dialogue by saying, send the people home to get food. And, uh, or he actually goes to Philip, he says, feed the people, right? And Philip says, well, we can't do it. we got a couple dinky fish and five barley loaves, you know, food for the poor. And uh, and so the people saw this miracle. Well, they saw the miracle. What was their response? It wasn't, wow, this is Messiah. Let's we see the spiritual message. Let's follow him. Right. This is the Burger King. That's right. He's the Burger King, right? Let's make him king because he can make uh, you know five barley loaves enough to feed five thousand. Right. So so they they totally missed it. Right. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. The fact that Messiah can actually provide for you, you know, something out of nothing, that's the point. And that you want Messiah. You don't want the bread, right? You need me. And you are what you eat, by the way, is kind of the way he praises it. You know, if you want true life, you need to eat true life. You need to fully consume it. It needs to be part of you. I'm just saying, if Jesus had a PR person or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> might have said you well, might have chosen different words. Or, or if he's running for office, you know, trying to get followers. Uh huh. He used he the would, wrong message. Yeah, right? you wouldn't take this route. Ah. But on the other hand, he takes this route, and there's got to be a reason. Well, chapter seven starts just that way. The PR guys are saying, "Man, you you're giving the wrong <laughs> message here," yeah. and these things. Uh, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he, had, uh, he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the feast of the Jews, feast of booze, was near. Therefore his brothers said to him, leave here and go into Judea, so that your disciples may see your works, which you are doing. They wanted to see him turn the bread and the wine, or the water into wine, and the bread into meant much, right? And healing people. They wanted, him, they wanted the message of the PR to go out. And what did Jesus say? Well, they said to him, For no one does anything in secret which he himself seeks, um, when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Right? Jesus wasn't trying to be a man of the world. He was trying to be distinct and show, no, the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of the world. 
So he was trying to lead down to a few specific disciples that could change the world. Yes. Well, he was trying to... Um, so was Jesus' goal to grow 12 disciples, or was Jesus' goal to provide salvation for the world? Yeah, even if no one got it, he would have died for only one. We know that because Old Testament stories go through and tell us about the heart of God is so great that he would go to the far, farthest length of the universe just to save one person. So it wasn't necessarily about the twelve, although God also knew these people and knew how the message of, of, that he had for the people that salvation is accomplished in the Son of God, in the Messiah, the one who is fully man, fully God. He wanted that message to get out, so he made faithful witnesses. I think he also knew the reality too, that the miracles were not converting himself. Even Thomas doubted in the end. That's right. Him and saw every single one of them. That's right. Jesus so, said, the only miracle that you're going to see that is worthy of belief is the sign of Jonah, right? Which is that death can truly be conquered and that it'll be conquered on the third day. So if our greatest enemy, the enemy that separates us from God, is death, there is no greater thing that can, can separate you from God than being separated eternally through death, right? That's the thing that's the enemy. And God knows exactly what needs to happen in order to remedy, to bridge that gap. He knows that it takes one from heaven to come to earth, to bring that from earth into heaven. So you need a bridge. And that bridge can only happen through one that is fully human and fully divine. Through the Son of God. And, and so that's the message that Jesus is, is saying it plainly. Says, I am that bread of life. Um, I am that well that springs up to eternal life, and that that well is inside of you if you drink it, right? And so that's the the whole point of what he's trying to use phenomenal language, language that was common to the people, to help express a really difficult concept. I know I became a Christian long before I understood what it meant to be a Christian. And it bugged me that I was so ignorant. Seriously. I mean, I was caught up in a, a Christian cult. And Karen will tell the story for me. But I got, when I got saved, I was hitchhiking through um, western Colorado. I was on my way to, to Texas to visit a friend. And I didn't have a home. Um, I'd been living on the street. And so I just had what I carried with me. And I hitchhiked everywhere I went. And so I was hitchhiking through western Colorado. And I stopped for the night at a place called Elk Creek Campground because in campgrounds you're fairly safe. And so um, they had a campfire that night, and there was some Christian uh, crusade, or what was it, Campus Crusade for Christ folks there. And they were playing guitars, and I was all about music. Right? So it's like, yeah, I'll go and I'll listen to the music. I don't care about this psychobabble BS or this Christianity <laughs> thing. I just want to hear the, hear the notes and put them together in my own way. And so I went there, and I was listening, and, uh, and then kind of everybody left afterwards, and I was the only one remaining with these guys and they said so what's up with you and so I told them I told them exactly who I was and why I was there 
And the, I'll never forget, the guy laughed at me. And he didn't laugh at me. He was laughing. He said, because I was offended. Like, what, you know, what's so comical about my life? He said, no, man, the devil's been having a way with you. And then he shared very quickly and succinctly what the gospel message was. That I could actually have life. I didn't have to die. Um, and I believed that night. And I went and I slept and I woke up in the morning and he had left a, a New Testament for me. It was called Aloha is the Greatest. Love is the Greatest. Because he was a missionary from Hawaii. Why God put him in the middle of the Rocky Mountains, I don't know. <laughs> and I still have the Bible to this day. Um, and that was the beginning of my Christian walk. And I knew absolutely nothing other than that I didn't have to die. Well, I ended up getting involved in a Christian cult because I didn't know any better. It's like these guys seemed to know, were very concerned about studying the Word. And I wanted to study the Word. I didn't know where to start. You start in Matthew, you start in Genesis, where do you start, right? Um, and these guys were the Way International. They were really into um, studying the Word. But their reason for studying the Word was to prove that Jesus was not God. I didn't know that. I just knew that they said the word Jesus, and they used a lot of Christian language, so I thought they were talking about the same thing that had happened to me when I was saved. And I was so excited about this, I was telling my brother about it, my salvation, and, and he said, well, maybe I should get a Bible. So we went into a Zondermann bookstore to buy him a Bible, and the guy asked me a really common question. Oh, so where do you go to church? I said, well, actually, I don't go to church. I'm a, a leaf on a twig on a branch. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh. That's what you said. Pardon? That's what you said. That's what I said, yeah. So I went to a <laughs> weekly Bible study called The Twig that was connected to a branch. <laughs> And I was a leaf on the twig. So, um, and they called it the way because that's what Christians were called in the first century. So they were really into all this. Sounds really good, right? Until I realized the whole the, the guy behind this ministry was all about proving that Jesus was not God. Well, that's the Arian heresy. I didn't know that at the time. That's what the guy told. Yeah, this happened back in 300 AD. they already had this debate. It was already solved. At the Council of Nicaea, they said, no, Jesus is fully man, fully God. And then they clarified that through several more councils. Because this was so destructive to people. Well, why was it destructive? If Jesus wasn't God, he could not die for my sin. He could not truly conquer death. I didn't know that. That's one of the Christian distinctives. So I had to go on this journey of learning all these years. And that's, that's when the guy what, at the store gave you a book. Yeah, tell gave you me a book called The Mindbenders, which I also still have to this day. <laughs> and that set me on a course of trying to understand the Trinity. Which, by the way, if you try and understand the Trinity, you're going to end up in John. <laughs> because John talks about that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And you start understanding what Son of God means, and what Son of Man means, and what Prophet, Priest, and King is all about. This is a, you know what, what the Bible is, right? What's the story that's being told? So these things are really important. And Jesus wanted people to understand, no, I'm the real deal. You actually have to have me. You know, when you eat food, you know how it nourishes your body? Is anybody a biochemist in here? Yeah, I mean, you're, it's, a, it's, a pheno, it's a phenomenon. It's a miracle of, of nature. The way that you actually take food from a, from a grain 
that um, is not digestible in large part, and you're able to extract from that the very essence of life that somehow goes across the cell wall and gets turned into ADP to ATP and all this kind of groovy stuff and, you know, all the stuff that makes you energized, right, and allows you to live. In fact, you get more energy out of that piece of grain than we get out of any other kind of chemical or mechanical source of energy that we can create as men, right? God created in food this incredible miracle that we need such a little amount to do such incredible things. And Jesus is saying, just as that little piece of grain nourishes your body all the way down to the atom of what's going on, that's what you need. You need me in you. You need to eat me. Because I am a true meal. I'm that which can truly sustain you, and not just sustain you, but give you something that is greater than that. I can give you eternal life. I can give you the very life that God himself has within himself. Not that you become God, or even like God, which was the the temptation. But that the very life of God sustains you eternally. Okay, so sorry. No, this is heavy duty theology here, right? Okay, so uh, if... <laughs> um, so, so if Jesus was coming down and saying, "Look, I'm really God, and that's what you need," yes. and speaking spiritually, yep. then some people might have got that, mm-hmm. maybe. But he's coming as a man, okay, uh-huh. and and saying stuff that's way high spiritually, okay. So, so what, would hard it, to hear. so what would it look like if God, who is so far above us, that his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts, what would it look like if that God came to you? Would it be a bright light in the corner and you fall on your face? That has happened. How would it be if he wanted to communicate with you and not just communicate, but to commune with you? He wanted to actually be with you. He wanted you to be his friend. Well, I, I think that he, well, <laughs> a lot like he did, okay, but, but, uh-huh. I think it would be clearer <laughs> if he said, you know what, I'm the son of God, I'm speaking spiritually here, and, you know, this, you know, you need, you need my blood, you need my body, because it's true sustenance spiritually, it'll give you eternal life. He, he says all of that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. He says all of that in plain language. And when he says, when he says, they say, you know, the Jews, I'm looking at chapter 10, verse 24, the Jews then gathered around him after he said all of these things, right? And were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Right? He wasn't telling us plainly. Jesus said, I told you, and you do not believe. That's, that's the problem wasn't one of them getting the message. The problem was one of them believing the message. And that's why John says it's not just about knowing. It's about believing. Because in believing, you are actually transformed. God can actually give you a new heart. He can take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
He can make you desire something that you never desired before. And it isn't because he's a puppet master and he's controlling the puppet. Rather, it's a communion. It's a love affair. He loved, we love him because he first loved us. And when we realize that he loved us, and we really get that, it changes us. And that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to love us so much that he will give himself for the whole world. So that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So how often have we repeated that scripture? And how often do we really get that? You know, they hold it up at a football game, John 3.16. And yet they don't read two verses before. Two verses before said, Just as the snake was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must also be lifted up. Right? Jesus is, is saying this, and John is giving us the, um, the expert narrative translation of that says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He is in that sentence summarizing a whole of uh, biblical revelation up to that point in time. He's saying, this is what the Old Testament is all about. And he says that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. This is, it's simple, but it's hard. And that's what the people got when he said, I am the bread of life. It was simple, but it was hard. They had to actually believe. And so what happened is many fell away. But Jesus looked at those who had been with him and had actually, you know, been out in the out back, walking around, you know, living off of nothing. Um, going through the suffering life of Messiah with him. And he turned to them, he said, so are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Right? So not everybody fell away. And, and not everybody didn't get it. But what Jesus is not going to do is he's not going to sugarcoat it. Okay, so I feel like Peter in yeah. a lot of ways. Okay? I, you know doesn't get away, not, not necessarily because he gets it, <laughs> um, but that, you know, you have the worlds of eternal life, and, you know, so he's, he's trying, <laughs> he's trying. He is trying, um, and, and Peter, Peter, okay, as, as much as Peter makes these incredibly strong confessions, like, who else are we going to turn to? Right. You are the Christ, he named him, right? Peter in a moment of stress, which we all hit, in a moment of trial, denied Christ three times. And I'll tell you, that's what, that's what the epilogue of John is about. What happens when you have this whole revelation and you still screw up because you got boogers in your beard? You know? that, that being a, a human being, right? We are fallen. And yet, we are fallen but redeemed. And he wanted Peter to know that. And that this was written at a time for the church after Peter's death. And we'll get into that when we get there. But nonetheless, Peter, he, he caved. And he was the strongest of the bunch, except for maybe John. Right? So when we look at this, 
What we're looking at in this public ministry is the people asking honest questions just like you. What do you think the three honest questions they would have asked? So he had already done this whole thing of I'm the bread of life. You need to eat me. Right? And he had already done this thing of healing on the Sabbath, which was the absolute no-no. Right? And he did both of those things, saying you need to be a cannibal and you need to disobey the Sabbath laws. That's the way a good Jew would have seen it. Um, you need to do those things if you want to be part of me, part of my ministry and what I'm about. And so he's done these incredible things, and yet you're still like, well, maybe this whole thing of healing on the Sabbath was, um, was not, not as bad as we thought. Maybe the Sabbath is actually about something broader. Um, what if this whole thing about actually having Christ as part of you is more than just this idea of cannibalism? So there were some that were honestly asking the question, what three questions do you think they'd ask? The first question you think they, I think they would ask, and that's what's in chapter 7, is they would ask, what's your authority? By what authority do you speak to us? You're not even an ordained rabbi. And we understand that the rabbinical teaching is all about the Lord our God is one. Right? The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You're not even an ordained teacher. What's your authority? They want to know what's your authority. The next thing that they want to know is what's your origin? He was a Levite. Right. He wasn't a Levite. What's your origin? So what's your authority to speak? In this way, what, where, where did you come from? And the third question they'd ask is, what's your purpose, or where are you going? And those are the three questions that are asked. What's your authority? Where'd you come from? Where are you going? And Jesus gave plain answer, and in certain things he didn't make defense. So he could have made a defense about. Where did you come from? He could have said, well, I was born in Bethlehem, so clearly I'm of the line of David. Um, and this was, you know, a specific thing that God did, even though I was raised and, you know, went to Egypt for a while and then, you know, hung out in Nazareth for several years and I'm just a carpenter. So I'm not a, I'm not a rabbi. Um, where I lived was not in the place that you would expect Messiah to come from. In fact, they, some of them expected Messiah to just appear suddenly um, and mysteriously. And But the whole question is, what's the purpose? Where is he going? And that's what you see in chapter 7. And it's all in the context of this festival of booths. The idea of um, the festival of booths had, had several meanings, right? So uh, I brought up last week that it occurs after the Day of Atonement, which occurs after the heralding of Messiah. So you have Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, then you have the uh, ten days later, you have Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and then five days after that, you have the Festival of Booths, which is the big festival. It's the great feast. It's seven days long. And it um, memorializes not just the deliverance of God and the, the presence of Messiah and forgiveness, but God's provision for all eternity. So if we understand it in a theological concept, it means 
a lot. Um, it could also have just been associated with uh, agricultural society, which we brought up. You know, that's a fall ceremony. It's associated with the equinox. Um, it's associated with the, one of the late harvests of uh, fruit. Um, it's associated with the end of the, the drought season and the beginning of the rains that come in the fall and the winter. So we understand there's a lot of meanings that could have been put into it, but Jesus wanted them to understand why the Jews memorialized this as the Festival of Booths. And it has to do with who he is and what he came to do. And so when we, we read through, he didn't go because he was his PR guy said go. This is how you gain followers, right? In fact, he explicitly put that off. He said, no, you go ahead. And then he goes secretly, not secretly, but he went without fanfare to Jerusalem. And he shows up in the middle of the feast, and he starts speaking. And uh, we read that in, in verse 14. It says, but when uh, it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple, into the temple, and began to teach. And the Jews were astonished, saying, how has this man become so learned, having never been educated? What's your authority? You know, who ordained you for ministry? Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but he is his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. So Jesus puts the test of his authority back on them. Do you believe God? Is what I say am saying from God or from myself? You answer. Because we can make any claim we want. And, and I run into this all the time. I ran into this at work this last week. And the way I, I paraphrase it is, is a quote I read years ago. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. You know, you can tell some, something to somebody. And they can nod and agree with you. But if they go off and do what they intended to do all along, they don't believe you. Right? They're, they're just giving, giving some kind of acquiescence to get you off their back. And what Jesus is saying is, no, don't listen to me. I'm not going to try and convince you of this. You, you see if these are the words of God. You be the judge. God sent me, and these are his words. Are they mine or are they God's? And he didn't make them hard. He was teaching about fundamental truth that was in their word. And the opposition he got is because he um, gave an argument about the Sabbath. That the Sabbath was about communion with God. It wasn't about a bunch of laws that said you can do this, you can't do that. It's about communion. And he goes on and he gives that very example. He says, um, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true. And there is no unrighteousness in him. Did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you carries out the law? Why do you seek to kill me? And the crowd answered, you're nuts. Who seeks to kill you? In other words, they, not everybody there was part of the earlier discussion. So Jesus is going to remind them what this discussion was, where they actually put out a, you know, a, a price on his head and said, we want to kill this guy. Go arrest him. And uh, Jesus answered them, I did one deed, and you all marvel. And he's referring back to the, the healing on the Sabbath. 
For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. He's talking about a specific aspect of Mosaic law, which turns out was not associated with Moses at all. It was uh, it was a sign of a covenant that Abraham entered into, right? And yet, we understand how this was codified into law, and it became a religious practice that on the eighth day, every male will be circumcised, and that's the sign that you're one of us, right? One of them, rather than one of God's. It says, if a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So he's saying, don't, it's not what you see, but what God declares is true and right. And that isn't necessarily all these sundry laws that they put together. What's of God and what's not? And so he says, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Because then they, they got it. They associated, oh, okay, yeah, just a few months back, um, there was this whole thing about the Sabbath and, you know, trying to arrest him. He says, look, he's speaking publicly, and they're, they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? So they're trying to answer that question. Who is this guy? What's his authority? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. In other words, they had this idea that Messiah, and you could do a whole study on Messiah, the concept of Messiah, where'd that come from? And that there were those, like I say, that believed that the Christ would come suddenly. And in fact, wouldn't have uh, an earthly heritage. He would be like Melchizedek, with no generations, right? Um, so we don't know anything about Melchizedek. We understand the author of Hebrews actually ascribed the uh, priesthood of Melchizedek and the kingship of Melchizedek to Christ. So we understand that there was that aspect of Messiah that people were wrestling with. It's like, well, how can he be fully human and fully God? That's the question they're asking. Um, and Jesus says, uh, cried out in the temple teaching saying, you both know me and know where I am from. And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. So what is Jesus saying there? He's saying he's sent from God. When they say, where are you from? He's saying, I am from God. I am from heaven. When they're saying, what's your authority? What gives you the right to teach? He says, heaven gives me the right to teach. God gives me the right to teach. So he's answering their question consistently the same way, all the way through. Where, uh, what's your authority? Heaven. Where are you from? Heaven. So they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So now we see it's changing to a focus on purpose. His hour had not yet come. That has so to do with purpose. If yes. you were a man, mm -hmm. and if you weren't God, uh -huh. that would be blasphemy. And it would. And that's what they're saying. And, 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 and they accused him of blasphemy many yeah. times. And they tried to stone him more than once. And finally they crucified him. And you know what? He, you know when he came before the high priest, you find this in Matthew chapter 26, verse 64. The high priest says, okay, enough with all these testimonies. I ask you, 
in the name of God, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly. And he says, I am. It is as you say. And after this, you will see the Son of Man coming in the heavens. What he is talking about is he's saying that one who is the Son of God is also called the Son of Man. And that that Son of Man is the rightful heir of the, of the throne. And, and he's speaking, speaking about Daniel, chapter 7, and the vision that Daniel had. Where one came before the Ancient of Days, and what was presented to him was a dominion and a rule that would be for all time, for eternity. And, and when the high priest heard that, when Jesus said, this is it, man, he said, that's it. I've heard enough. Rip. You're a blasphemer. You're dead. And from that point, they took him, they bound him, they beat him, they took him to Pilate, they convinced Pilate to crucify him because it was against their own law, and, and they crucified him. So Jesus made it no more plain than that, Right? And, and, and we see the same thing happening here. When he's answering honest questions, what gives you the right to teach? Where are you from? What's your purpose? Where are you going? And that's what he's getting at now. He answers clearly each time. God in heaven gives me the authority. Heaven is my home. To bring you to heaven is my purpose. And that's what he goes on to say here. He says... Um, so they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But many of the crowd believed in him. And they were saying, when the Christ comes, will he not perform more signs than those which this man is? Will he? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, for a little while longer I am with you. And then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. He's talking about those... Uh, that you can't go through death. Only he could go through death. The Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we shall not find him? Is he intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? In other words, the most despicable place that they could think of a person to go would be among the Gentiles. So here's a good Jew, and they're saying, are you going to go out to the dogs? Are you going to go live with the dogs? Are you going to teach dogs? Because that's what they call the Gentiles, right? That was, in their mind, the most despicable place that, that he could go. What Jesus was saying is, no, I'm going to actually go into death. And you can't follow me there because you can't go through death. But I can. And I'm going to prove it. I'm going to be raised on the third day. And he says that as well. But he, in, in this point, he says, he clarifies to them, what is this statement that he said, you will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his inmost being will flow livers, rivers, rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this is speaking all about his purpose. What is it he came to do? So... He spoke about his authority, he spoke about his origin, now he's speaking about his purpose. This is all about um, bringing salvation to people, to actually make a way that people could have eternal life. 
That had not yet occurred. What needed to occur for you to have eternal life? A couple of things needed to occur. One, that which separates you from God had to be removed. Your sin had to be removed. Further, the consequence of that sin had to be fulfilled. So a death had to occur. And when that death occurred, the very thing that separated God from man, so where does man meet with God? In the temple. And, in, and there's a specific spot in the temple where people would actually come face to face with God at the mercy seat of God. That was called the Holy of Holies. And when that happened, um, when Christ was crucified and died for our sins, the, the, the curtain that separated God from man was torn from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. That's what happened in that moment. And what we understand is that Christ brought about the ability for us to actually drink from the living water of which he is. So Christ is the living water. And those who believe can drink that water. So that's what he's saying here. This is my purpose. My purpose is to bring real life. Not just, um, not just an extension of days, but a quality of life that is eternal. No one could do that except God. And they understood it. That's why they wanted to kill him. Some, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. That is the one whom Moses spoke about. Others were saying, this is the Christ. So others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? They still had confusion about origins. Has not the scripture said that Christ comes uh, from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So it would have been really easy for Jesus to say, oh, by the way, check your, check your registry. I was born there. But he didn't. Because belief has nothing to do with, with all of those things lining up. So that you can say, yep, you know, irrefutable evidence. It's not a mathematical proof. It's more than that. It's believing in a way that you trust Christ. That's Jesus, who is the Christ, for your very life. That's what this is about. Not a mathematical proof. So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. That's what happens when the word is put out. And this is what happened in chapter 6, Tim. Is that when Christ said, I'm the source of life. I am bread and you need to eat me. There was a division that happened. And some went one way and some went another. And I know I'm out of time. <laughs> I was aware of it for five minutes. Um, I'm just going to read to the end. It says, the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees. Um, well, so some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said, to, they said to him, the Pharisees said, Why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, Never has a man spoken this as this man speaks. This is pretty clear. The Pharisees then answered, Have you not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? 
but the crowd, which does not know the law, is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came before him, being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? And they answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. In other words, they're saying, What dog do you have in this fight? <laughs> Save your fight. You're not from Galilee. What do you care what comes out of Galilee? They did have prophets. They did have prophets. There were two of them. Jonah. Jews gave a sign of Jonah. Actually, Jonah was not very far from Nazareth. And Nahum. But what they were saying is that Messiah doesn't come out of Galilee. And what was happening was people were believing that Jesus was the Christ. And that really bugged them. Anyway, let's go ahead and close. Um, Lord, thank you for opportunity to come and and look at your word this morning and to dig in. And Lord, just ask that you would uh, prick our hearts, that your spirit would uh, testify to us, to our spirit, that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Lord, uh, help us to truly uh, grasp that in, in a way that transforms us, and that this transformation being a continual thing until we meet you in glory that you would continue to transform us every day as we uh, walk in in your word and and chase after you, Lord. You've given us the desire in our heart to do. Lord, we thank you for your provision for us, your protection of us. Lord, we're in a dangerous world, and uh, there are those that would uh, seize us and persecute us and kill us just as they did uh, you, Lord, and that you told us that that would happen. But nonetheless, you protect us in this world to to testify for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, uh, help us do that faithfully. Lord, we ask that you be um, with Pastor this morning as he shares your word, that uh, we would be uh, moved by what he has to say, that we would dig deeper, and that we would share with those around us, and that those that don't know you, Lord, that here might believe. We ask that with all of our heart, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.